Here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Bobby, thank you. Welcome yourself. Thank you. I got to get my head into this movie, especially after we watch a completely different movie. Yeah. Um, but we got to talk about this movie, not the Suicide Squad, which we just watched. Which, which I loved. Yeah, it was a fun movie. This is the new Suicide Squad. Very violent. Very violent. It's James Gunn, so it's like the comedic overtones of Guardians of the Galaxy, but with ultraviolence yeah ultraviolent ultra fun probably the best of the modern dc fair i think so uh, but it really doesn't take much though like no. it's so shit it's like the michael keaton batman movies i don't include those and then suicide that's a whole Squad. different time i don't know i'm saying those are the only ones i like <laughs> i just meant the ones that are supposed no, to be canon Oh, yeah. So I think it's everything from Man of Steel after. Mm, gotcha. So not even the Christopher Nolan Batman. Really? They're a whole different Oh, right, thing. because it's a whole different Batman. Did you? It wasn't Ben Affleck during those movies. I guess I don't honestly pay that much attention to it. I Why? Of course, why would you, honestly? The Christopher Nolan Batmans were the last ones I saw. Yeah. And the, la the last Christopher Nolan Batman was like, what? Yeah, well... Mm, yeah. Honestly, the good guys were the bad guys in that movie. What, yeah. Uh, because Bane was the good guy. Didn't you think we should have gotten a Robin movie after that? I don't know if they'll ever sign off on a Robin movie. With Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Robin? Spoilers. Listen, if you haven't seen the Christopher Nolan Batmans yet, go yeah, home. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like... The whole time he's just what like was his cop. last name Robin or something or his real first I name think, was Robin? I think, yeah, I think we I think we legit had to see his driver's license to know that his name was Robin. I forgot about that completely. That was <laughs> that was <laughs> fucking stupid. It's because at the very end they try to tie everything up in a pretty bow. That was so fucking dumb. I totally forgot about that. Uh huh. Wow. <laughs> but because they did that, I thought they might try. Yeah. Well. <laughs> After that movie, I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. But, I don't know, you figure they would make a Robin movie. I mean, in terms of, like, low-tier, um, you know, there's a, Marvel's doing a Shang-Chi movie, and that that's a very, like, deep-cut character. Yeah, but, but potentially but DC, very cool, right? But DC's different. I mean, it's like Kung Fu. Yeah. They literally, like, 
Shang-Chi exists because Bruce Lee existed. Mm. And Bruce Lee was a phenomenon, so Marvel hopped on on that and had a whole fucking karate master kung fu series of comics. Like, I think Iron Fist stemmed from that. Oh, yeah. 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 So, all that kind of jazz. Mm. Or are we not? We're not talking about anything like no, that. No, that's not at all what we're talking about. Because that's not that's not a documentary. Thank goodness. The Suicide Squad is fun though, but it's yeah. not. It's not for kids. No, it's not. No. Nah. That would be very scary for children. Although I'm sure they'd like the Big Shark Man. I love the Big Shark Man. Mm. I want to hug him. He might eat you. I would make very clear first that I'm a friend. Yeah. And then he wouldn't eat me. Friend. Friend. Jo- <laughs> John Cena was pretty good in it, too. Idris Elba was great, huh? John Cena needs to be a heel. Idris Elba is hotter than ever right now. After SummerSlam, John Cena is just going to be acting. It's past that time. He's going to be a heel in movies. That's it. I'm just saying, just how it is. he would be an amazing one. It'd be funny if after SummerSlam, uh, Vince McMahon was like, uh, we have released John Cena, we wish him well in all his endeavors. What if they're... <laughs> It, I guess if y'all don't know, like WWE has been releasing a lot of everybody. There's a lot of stars. Many are like people that are kind of in developmental and haven't really been used. But uh, certain people, like uh, this guy named Bray Wyatt, who actually sells merch and shit, got yeah. released like a week ago. So that's just just to explain that joke. Yeah. That you know Vince McMahon would release John Cena. And John Cena is a laughably child-friendly, very silly wrestler persona. He's yeah. a great wrestler, but his persona is very, like, silly and fun, and so him being a bad guy is... You can't see him. Crazy. You can't see him. Can't see... He oh, does he that thing. He drapes his hand in front of his face so you can't see him. So it's forever that joke <laughs> on the internet where there's a picture of John Cena, and everyone's like, I don't see anything. <laughs> that that's funny and i know a lot of people who are aware of that joke are tired of it i just learned about it i think it's great i just could have sworn we've (laughs) done that joke i don't know why you've just heard about it i don't because i don't really i never really saw him wrestle you know i don't think you were i think when i talk about i'm not busting your balls here okay when i talk about i think the thing that you do not retain is when i talk about things like pop culture stuff music stuff when i talk about details of things that like are on my mind, you do not retain that information. It's hard for me to remember details about people and things that I don't also have a connection to. I think that's, like, normal. But it'll be times where you will sit and you'll absorb something, but you'll only see it once, and you'll say you like it, but then you'll don't remember it, like, certain details. Like, it is kind of amazing how much I can retain of, like, useless pop culture information, and you seem to be, like, the opposite. That's all, I keep, like, all my, like, job stuff in my brain. That sucks. And, like, remembering to, like, do shit around the house. That's what stays in my brain. It's not as fun. Then why, then why do you do it? This is the way my brain works. I, I don't know. You're not I'm having saying, fun? You're not, not, your no, brain is not naturally inclined to do something you enjoy? No, sure, of course. I just, I don't. Without an actual example, I don't know exactly. I mean, I, yes, you, you, like, things like that I don't remember. But also, like, why would I know that thing about John Cena with his hand in front of his face? I've never actually seen him wrestle. I just know that he was a wrestler. You have, like, a couple pictures of him. You're more of a modern watcher. 
Yeah, like, he hasn't been a wrestler since I've started watching until just now. I mean, it's like a thing. Okay, but I absorb a lot of wrestling, but just not as much as you. Okay. And it's never going to be the case. It's so funny how much wrestling you absorb, but anyone who's listening to this who's barely, like most people, barely knows anything about wrestling, they know John Cena might be the only name they even fucking know, you know? And you're like, uh, he does what? And they probably, like, know, even though they barely watch wrestling. Sure. It's funny. You know more about, like, fucking indie shit yeah. than you do about, like, WWE in the last 20 years. Well, I've learned a lot since we've been watching these documentaries and stuff. That's true. And I remember that stuff. And that's but, like, the- if it's just a fact about a wrestler that I haven't, like, made some sort of connection with, no, I'm probably not filing it away. I'm just not going to remember it. Mm, you can't see me. I can't see it. Waving hand, back of hand. Before he hits his one of his moves, or after he hits a move, yeah. he bends down and he waves his hand in front of his opponent's well, face. If biography, because like done, he knocked him, he knocked him out. If biography had done an hour long show about him, I would know it. Man, I bet a what would an A and E biography on John Cena be? Or if they did, well, it would probably be one of those WWE. Just, like, ass-kissy ones. I don't think he's a guy that did some fucked-up shit, like a lot of old-school wrestlers. That's why I didn't say Vice, because he'd never be on a Vice one. What if he showed up on Dark Side of the Ring? What did he do? The Secret Life of John Cena. You can't see me. Did you eat from the toilet? I'm smelling mysterious gases. Oh, bro, close your mouth. You get the breath of a thousand asses. Look, we're not talking about John Cena. We're not talking about the Suicide Squad. We're not talking about Batman. We're not talking about anything that was scripted, made we're not, up. We're not critiquing Angela's inability to retain certain pop culture facts. I bet if John Cena wore drag, you'd remember every fucking thing. He'd... <laughs> I don't know. I or we're not talking about drag queens. Well, you brought it up. We're talking about it's the sequel to what we talked about last week. Yeah. We're back into Amshinrikyo. We are. With this one, it's called A2 by Tatsuya Mori. That guy. He's back. He's back again. We're back again. Tag team, back again. Back, 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 back again. You know who tag team is? The band tag team? That's familiar. They did that song, Whoop, There It Is. Oh, yeah, I know that song. The tag team, back again. I don't know the rest of the lyrics. But tag team back. I, it's in my head. I got it. Whoop, there it is, right? Yeah. Let's do it. There it is. Whoop, Whoop there it is. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. Shaka laka, shaka laka, shaka laka, shaka boom. Shaka laka. Did you have a shirt that said Whoop, there it is no, on it? No. Did you have a shirt that said Achy Breaky Heart on it? No, but I loved that song. Well, yeah, we were children when it came out. I had out. one of those t-shirts that was like the Looney Tunes and gangster clothes yes, those on the big. front. And you could see their backs on the back. I had one of those. Yeah. Dude. I had a t-shirt with like a cat on the front and like a cat anus on the back. I had one of those. Oh, I know those. I did have one of those. I fucking wish I still had one of those. Cats are perverted. <laughs> I want like a sweatshirt with a cat cat anus on the back of it. Just an extreme close up of the cat anus no, to where you can't like... even see the cat, and people are like, no. "What is that?" <laughs> I just want like a, I want like a shirt. No. 
That's just a close up of an anus. It's just no. so close up. And but it's one of those shirts that covers the, the images and envelops the whole shirt. Like you see those pug shirts where the pug is like just all over the shirt. I, had, I have a sweatshirt like that. It's too small for me, but it's sitting there. Ooh. Okay. Maybe I can have someone make that for you. Find an anus expanded. You got to get high detail pick because if you make it big, it'll pixelate, it'll blur. So you need mm. to, you're going to have to find like a very detailed high red shot of an asshole. Might have to take one ourselves. <laughs> A2 by Tatsuya Mori. Now, we followed around Araki last time. Yes. The PR guy who we thought maybe was done with PR by the end of it. And this 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 continuation takes place in 2001. Yeah. And Araki is still around. We're, we're thinking, like, maybe he's starting to unravel, maybe wanting to, thinking about going back to his family. But it seems like he is hanging around. But he's not the main focus like he was in the previous movie. He's not the main focus of this movie, but he does, he does still, he is still doing the same job he was doing then. I think maybe at the end of the last movie, there just felt to be a little reprieve because the trials were over mm-hmm. and they weren't being charged as being compliant. But basically, like, we're catching up to what's happened in the last few years because this starts in October of 2000. I wonder if Shoko Asahara was charged at this point. Or was sentenced at this point. When was Shoko Asahara sentenced? Uh, he was sentenced on February 27th, 2004. That's my mom's birthday. Sentenced. Wow. He should that's, call her and let baby, her know. That's that, baby Eldridge's birthday, too. Oh, wow. We should, like, get, ba- yeah, little Miss Eldridge Jr., like mm-hmm. Eldridge's daughter. Mm-hmm. We should get her a shirt with Shoko Asahara on it. <laughs> Can we? No. Just like a onesie with his face on it? I mean, we can, but I don't know that they'll let her wear it. <laughs> well, he was sentenced by to death by hanging. Oh, my God. And it's rare. It's actually very rare that yeah. modern Japan will sentence someone to death. And he was executed just a few years ago. So, so this is still before his sentencing. Oh, uh, so he wasn't sentenced. Until he wasn't sentenced. The trial went on that long. Well, this opens up with trial boxes. Like they're going into what's like maybe like they're on a dock and it looks like some kind of storage or some kind of tra- uh, shipping containers. But they're pulling out all these boxes and boxes and boxes of videotapes yeah. from 1996 that are all labeled Trial of Former Leader. Yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm not sure why they're looking for all this stuff. I think it's probably for the movie, but then it didn't, they didn't use it. You know, like maybe it's like, oh, we have a bunch of videos. And also, I think it's so fascinating. This could have actually just been part of it is just kind of looking at like the way they've documented things. Like, the places they live are so crowded because they just have boxes and boxes of papers and newspapers and videotapes of televisions. And this isn't, yeah, this is just where they taped literally everything that came on television about their leader. The director asked Siraki, has this year felt more traumatic 
1995, mm -hmm. and Araki says the same issues are thrust in my face. And then from this point on, we don't see Araki that much, just randomly. He kind of comes back at the end. Yeah, and kind of. I think the press still references him because they dealt with him in the past for PR. He, yeah, he ends up, I think he ends up running in some circles during this one that we can't really get into until later. Arm at this point has gone dormant. They usually do missionary work and go around and kind of, you know, I guess they used to go around and try to recruit people, but... They've stopped that at this point. And the press arrive, you see Om go, go home signs. I, I noted during this, they were basically having this press conference, right? And they were trying to keep part of the press out with this guy who was going to be this, like, human door. And Iraqi looks even skinnier mm. than he did in the last movie. The same, like, kind of secondhand woman is there. It's maybe not the right way to say it. What is it? What do I mean? The right-hand lady. You know, yeah, yeah. That she's there next to him still, but they actually speak about. I believe that they even speak about like the physical and emotional exhaustion that their group has had over the last year. Or maybe I just wrote that down because they looked physically and emotionally exhausted. I I wrote the word asceticism, which is like not talking. That's what that word means. Oh, that's in the next bit. So right after they go to the women's facility, yeah, and they use that word. So, so they, 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 they're taking some supplies to an Am Shinrikyo house that is just for only women. And they're searching the cars and they go in and they start kind of touring the facility. And they say that the women practice in silence. Mm. So that's where that word comes up. Um, they, there's no chatting. There's, they have private rooms. But it's so funny because when we do see these young women, they're young. Yeah, they're... And they're very giggly. They're very chattery. One girl showing off a Hello Kitty rosary. A Hello Kitty prayer mat. Yeah, it's... I guess there's not... Like, I guess Hello Kitty's cool with the aesthetic of Om Shinrikyo. Yeah, you, I guess. I guess it's like, you know, they're... You, you, you can't eat meat. You gotta... Sh the outside world is crooked. It's, we're all doomed. You can let in Hello Kitty, though. Hello Kitty's down. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be, though, based on kind of some stuff they say later. I don't know where this falls, so I'll just mention it right now. At one point, we see a man's room where there's, like, a calendar... And every month of the calendar, like once the month passes, you can take it apart and basically make like a little origami animal. Mm -hmm. And these origami like shapes and animals are like hung up on the wall. And they're like, why do you have these? And they're making fun of whoever made them because it's such like a... They're, say, they're saying it's like a feminine thing to do. It's like a do. feminine thing to do, but it's also like, why would you need that if you don't need like worldly possessions? Why would you keep these little trinkets? Yeah. It's kind of the uh, is the question the documentary documentarian makes, and one of the guys like standing in the back of the room, he's like, "They're mine." Fellas, is it gay to fold paper? Apparently, <laughs> listen, we never get into their thoughts on things like that, but I'm sure they're not. Well, they're they basically want everybody to be asexual. Well, this whole movie is basically about Om um, is just kind of like existing, kind of more enclosing itself, but it's almost an extension of the very end of the last movie in which they're trying to live places mm -hmm. and people are straight up protesting them. Pretty much this whole movie is mostly that. Yeah. Kind because, of conflict. 
everywhere that was a home base for them got torn down because it got confiscated in the bankruptcy. And then, yeah, they're just trying to find a place to live. We go and meet um, Hagiwara. Mr. Hagiwara, who's kind of more of the figurehead of this movie. Like how Araki was like the last one. Hagiwara is kind of the more of the focus on this one. Yeah, because he's in charge of a hundred-person settlement, and he's very charming. It's interesting to me how he's charming without trying to be. You know, like he's just easygoing. There's like an ease to him that we didn't actually see with Araki because Araki was so stressed out all the time, even though he could make jokes and things. The director kind of like comes a little harder with the questions in this movie. He goes, if asked, if you could, would take the bag to the subway if Master asked. Right. Hagiwara says he's not sure if he should answer that question. And he says that asking me is not fair. And then he was like, basically like, yeah, I would. If for some reason anyone listening to this hasn't listened to the previous episode, go listen to it. But basically this is asking him, would he be the one that took the Saren to the, the subway, subway to kill the people? Yeah. And would you have done that for the master? And the answer is yes. And the thing is, is it makes sense that the answer would be yes. Because at the time, back then, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what the plans were. And if he, had, if he had just said, go take this to this thing, he believed completely in this person. And so, of course, he would have done it. Well, because at the time, he would have believed. Hagiwara explains that we're trained to crush our egos to obey yeah. the master. You do what he says. I don't know what the details are with who did what or what the court records show here. But it, it could be possible, as far as I know, mm -hmm. that the person who set the bag with the sarin or whatever, mm -hmm. maybe didn't even know what was in it. It actually makes the most sense that they don't. Yeah. You know? So some locals outside of this facility, they erect a monitor tent uh, where where some alms stay. Yeah, the townspeople have this tent that they're basically kind of just watching mm -hmm. the alms folks. They just want to know what they're doing. They're, like, surveilling them basically 24 hours a day, from what we can tell, or at least every day. Yeah. I don't know if they're staying overnight. Just, like, keeping an eye on them. They they said that they believe something along the lines of at least the all members that the current G state of Japan is Asahara's will, which I'm not sure what that means. Like, is all is uh, Asahara's arrest a part of his will? Also, we should say that Asahara, I think at this point has admitted to yes to these to masterminding these attacks. He has admitted to it. It's interesting because yeah, he does say that the fate of Japan is up to the leader. He just still believes that he's in control, even though all this is happening. Well, and they said in the past one, uh, in the first movie, one of the guys was saying that, you know, the leader getting arrested and everything happening was a test for all of them. Like, are you going to keep training during this? Are you going to keep the faith during this? At one point, Hagiwara says that he believes that when people say that they were brainwashed, like if people have left Om Shinrikyo and they say, I was brainwashed or I didn't really know it was happening. He says that's a cop-out. Yeah. He's basically like, no, we all know what we're doing, and we're here because we believe in this. Uh, one, one, one of the guys, one of the locals in the neighborhood who has helped erect the tent and monitors them and protests against them, he's hanging out with them. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how he used to shout at them. We're kind of coming into this weird transition yeah. where it's really funny. Like, this neighborhood, all these men... Uh, that protests them that seem to be mostly like older men. The weird thing is that as they've communicated with these members, especially 
how you are and such, mm-hmm. they actually are come, it, it becomes like a jovial person-to-person discussion. And the the barriers of social, I mean, all have restrictions, but they're not restricted to the sense where they can't, like, just talk to people. Right. So they're getting to know these people that are protesting them, and the protesters are getting to know them. Mm-hmm. And like them. The locals, they keep trying to hang on to a little bit of the animosity. And he's like, well, if, if he says if they'd apologize, we would start over. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how the, the, the Japanese people, like, I mean, yeah, I, for me, if, like, someone just, te- someone terrorized and attacked a bunch of people in my town or whatever, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it might take a lot more than an apology to get, to back me off. But it seems yeah. like that's what the Japanese people keep asking for. Why don't you just apologize for the trouble? And the way they... The way they say it, maybe it's a thing that's different in translation, but the way they say it, they make it sound like you just, like, lied about them behind their back or something. It's like... Yeah, it it, it makes me wonder if it's more of, like, that honor thing of just fucking own up to it. Yeah. Just, just admit that you were part of it. But the thing is, or at least it always seems to me, from Iraqi anyway, is that he didn't want to say we're sorry because that means that we somehow were implicated, but we didn't know anything about it. It was like a small group of people within. So these protests, they've all admitted, have become kind of a community hang. Yeah. And and you see protesters taking pictures with some of the members of yeah, Al Yeah, that was crazy. But there's trying to push for this anti-Om law where it passed. It passed. I wrote down that it passed, and my understanding of that or at least what we see happening after this, is that basically it just means that, like, they can kick you out of anywhere if they find out that you're on. Uh, like, yes. Like, you don't have... Like, they can move into houses, but they have to do it, like, very secretly, and then when people figure out that they're there, they basically can just harass them with no... Per- no... <laughs> I'm in trouble with words tonight. People can harass Alm with no consequences. consequences because they are Alm and so they don't deserve. They talk about how an Alm man was arrested for unlawful detention. Yeah. But they explained that what they were doing was this lady was cutting herself mm-hmm. and the Alm member was forcing her into a bath to prevent her suicide. And mm-hmm. this person had made many suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. And, but I guess some... They managed to just turn this and do like a charge against the Om member. Yeah. And but Om mentions, or I guess it's Hagiwara. He admits it's like we attract the weak and mentally ill, which is kind of the is he talking about kind of like the current status of Om, like how because you know Om originally Om has talked about how like there's so many like intelligent people people who have like aspirations in the deep sciences and now they're is this what the status of alm is now i possibly i didn't take it that way i took it more of as any religious group would attract people who are potentially mentally ill or need help or seeking something because that's not necessarily like the core original group but people do, like, glom on to, like, ideas and groups of people. And if they, you know, it makes sense to me. And it's not the majority of folks, but it does make sense that people might be attracted to a group like this. Or after the fact of this attack, Alma's now up in the news. Like, they've become, they've exploded in terms of notoriety. Yeah. So. 
Well, we've also talked about, like, the othering of oneself. And, like, if you feel like you are other, who else is more other than Om? Then, so you feel like that might be somewhere you could belong. The person that everyone's taking a big shit on. Yeah. Uh, and for, like, understandable reasons, as we've stated. They also tell a story about one of the men, and they actually are talking to the man that it happened to. These are just sort of, like, the that story of the detention, and then this story is, like, what the townspeople or the community point to to say they're bad. But they had this guy who, basically, they said he was a man... I'm sorry, not emancipated. They said he was emaciated. And these policemen, like, took him to the hospital saying that he was emaciated. And he was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't take me. They took him to the hospital anyway because they were trying to say that he was being mistreated and malnourished. Mm. When he got to the hospital, the doctor actually checked him out and said he was fine. He was just very skinny. Yeah. Also, listen, sure, they're all thin because they limit their food intake. It's probably not healthy. But I have also known very skinny people, and this guy seemed like a tall, lanky dude anyway. Like, yeah. he might have been this skinny regardless, but they said he was fine. But the police actually tried to get the hospital to keep him hmm. because there was already press there. And they had made this big deal about this all member is, em- is emaciated and it's so terrible. Oh. But it was bullshit. Imagine that news cycle that day, just talking about that over and over and over And you know that's all they heard. Like, the actual story didn't get out, but he was fine, and he just went back home. So the neighborhood surveillance tent is to be taken down, and the man is offering um, Hagiwara a drink. Of course, they can't accept it. But the man regrets that it's... The man says that he regrets that it's being taken down before Alm leave, some Alm members are helping them take the tent down as well. They are. their friends. There's also sort of like two groups of these people. And I'm assuming we're only really talking to the ones who are in the tent. Because at some point they talk negatively about the people in the prefab. Which I think is just basically like there's a tent and then there's probably like a shed. Yeah. That some other guys are in, and those guys are probably not friendly. So the other community members who are in the tent, like, think badly about the ones who aren't being friendly. Yeah, yeah. It's the, so bizarre. There's, like, a split amongst the uh, protesters. But the people that have gotten along with the Alm people, or at least see them as human, right? They're being, they're just being like, look, you leave your organization, you can come hang out with us. Uh, but you have to quit. And they offer, they're offering them bread and stuff, but they don't touch food. Yeah, they can't touch food. Um, there. Yeah, there's one point they make a big deal about that. They're like, wouldn't it? He was like, one guy was like doing something with rice, and the guy was like, wouldn't it be easier for you just to do that with your hands? And he's like, I can't. We do not touch food. Yeah, it's about energy. And the media seem very surprised at this relationship, and they seem very enthralled with watching the neighborhood communicate in a not negative manner with all members. One of the things, because they're about to leave, like one of the things that ends up happening is, um, sorry, what's the leader's name? Hagiwara. Hagiwara. I'm pretty sure it's Hagiwara throughout the movie. Yeah, I think it's him. I think. Here's the deal. They're skinny. They all kind of. There's quite a few of them are bald. Yeah. I think it's the same guy. It's just different things are happening. And sometimes he's got like things attached to his head and, but there's this moment where he shows them this sort of like ritual that they do that we actually see a few times through this movie that we never saw in the first one, where he drinks a pan of salt water. Like he chugs it. He Yeah, he like drinks it down very quickly, and then he kind of like moves his stomach around, and then he throws the water back up. That's when I came.
And you... <laughs> no. But it's crazy because they don't explain what it is, but you know it's something that it's crazy that he's showing them. Like, it seems like something you wouldn't do in front of people who aren't part of Om because it's yeah. part of, like... It almost seemed, and I, this could be totally not true, but to me it seemed like he's almost like doing a, he's like cleaning out his stomach like you would do like an enema. Yeah. Because it is like a saltwater thing and that's not meant to stay in your body. Like the the whole thing about it being saltwater is why it is easy to throw up because your body is rejecting that. Like it's very bad for you to have that much salt in your body. You know, the all members, they abstain from sex. So you could imagine that when they do finally bust one, they must be throwing ropes for like minutes. Is it in this one or the one before where they talk? I know. I, yes, that's funny. But what made me think about something because because one, they talked to a guy at one point and he says, you know, yeah, there's no sex. And the, the documentary guy asked him, the director guy asked him, well, do you ever have wet dreams? And he's like, I mean, I did it at the beginning. And the director goes, oh, so you don't have wet dreams anymore? And he's like, no, I do. I still do. Like, I, he didn't, like, want to admit it. But he's like, yeah, I'm not allowed to have sex. So, yeah, I still have wet dreams, like, every day. I guess you'd start having them more. It'd be like being a kid again. Probably. So a crowd gathers at this area that I think was relocated. It used to be a food plant that Om ran. Mm -hmm. Um but it's an anti-on crowd. They're wearing signs. And uh, the there's an old man who's talking to the director, Maury. And he's accusing Maury of being one of the om. Because Maury's basically like, have you ever talked to them? Yeah. Have you ever... And we're getting in... This is like... And we're we're seeing a side of... It's essentially like the like the, the, this right-wing element mm -hmm. um, of this certain group. They seem to be all men. And they're screaming at officials, being like, why can't you search them? Why can't you um, uh, detain them? They're screaming out with Ulm. And the crowd demands to see inside of a building and in which some Ulm members are staying. Also, we go back to the other facility. It's going back and forth to an extreme protest and then back to the neighborhood in which the neighbors are a little friendlier with the well, old. And, and yeah, so like the tent's down now, but the guys still show up. Yeah, they're like they're hanging out like they're buddies. And now they say like, I was supposed to watch them before and now I'm watching over them. Yeah. They kind of want to protect them because I know there are these people who have who have ill will towards them. It's been a hundred days. They watched them for a hundred days and one of the guys just looks at the camera and he just says, I just feel very confused. Yeah. He just doesn't know how to feel because he knows these people. This is what we talk about all of the time. It's so easy to vilify a group or a movement or a people or a race or an idea if you don't ever meet a single person who belongs to that group. Right. Regardless of whether it's actually good or bad. But you can even not vilify. You can just lump them all into one category. And then when you actually meet some of those people, you realize that they are people. 
So we go to a, 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 a thing called the Victims of the Sarin Attack meeting. Yeah. And there's this man sitting here, and his name is Mr. Kono, and he's sitting with some all members. And he's he kind of goes back and forth and stuff, but it, and he's talking about how apologies don't count if they're not sincere. And at first he's kind of disappointed at what he certain things he is and isn't getting. But he also says that he thinks all members should have a place to go. Yeah, this is so interesting to me because Iraqi's back here at this point, and so is that lady, and there's a few other people. And it, it's so interesting to me because this guy was in the attack, and he was injured by it. But then he appears to have orchestrated this meeting in order to have press there to film a conversation that is going to be between him and the OM members basically saying that they're sorry to him or whatever they want to say to him. He's, like, trying to, like give them an olive branch kind of like i will help you but then he gets mad because they're not helping themselves like they don't come with a plan they didn't know what they were going to say to him yeah and it seems like he's kind of all over the place a little bit too maybe coming from an emotional place as well and i think at the end they decide to kind of take the time to write up a formal apology for the man uh at a later time yeah but a man named joy you he gets out of jail we very briefly in the last movie saw like them watching a news report of him mm-hmm. getting arrested. It was very brief. And now that I think he's one of the people who made the news that got locked up. He was the former spokesperson for Alm, which means he was Iraqi's predecessor from what I understood. Yeah. So there's a point where I think it's the director where um, he's talking to an Alm member because it's kind of a little dangerous for Joyu because he's become so notorious. Yeah. And but I guess due to I don't know why he's out of jail for whatever reason, maybe because there's a lack of evidence of direct involvement. Yeah, if he or was maybe just a it, spokesperson, they may have thought he knew things he didn't know, or maybe he knew stuff but didn't do stuff. Or just the equivalent of making bail or something. True, I don't know. True. But uh but the director talks to an O member, he's like, Did you hear? Joyu was stabbed. And then he said, Just kidding. That was that was <laughs> that was, was strange. Was the director saying that? I I'm was pretty sure else. it was the director. That's Maurice. not okay. That's actually not okay. So now we go back to the neighborhood guys again, and they're oh hanging out. They're hanging out inside of the facility. Yeah, which is different than the place where Joy Yu is being. St- There's like a couple of locations we're dealing with now. This is the bit with the books. Yeah, and they're bringing members out some alm books. Or they're bringing they're bringing the all members some non alm books. Yeah. And the and the neighbor guys are like hold it up to the camera so they don't think they're they're alm literature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're handing them like alm literature, and then one guy says like, "Oh, the last one burned so nicely." <laughs> yeah, but then one of them actually is like, "Well, it's almost like he catches himself because he's like, oh, I already have this one.'" Yeah. Let me have that one. And then he goes, oh, yeah, the last one burned so nicely. But it's, it's almost like, you got like that book joke. on your shelf. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you kept that book at home. So Joy is like at a safe house now. And here we meet the nationalists. And yes, there's, they call, that's what they call themselves. Like, I'm talking like, these are guys, they have like a song about the emperor that plays from a bus. Yeah. 
I mean, they, we haven't had imperialist Japan since the end of World War II, but it seems like that these guys want that kind of traditional imperialist history again yeah. with Japan. Yeah. Because... Um, it's crazy. Because, <laughs> I mean, Imperial Japan, they were, like, hardcore. I mean, they were, like, you know, like British or America on them, just on the other side of the hemisphere. They mm-hmm. did some fucked up shit mm-hmm. on their side of the globe. Like, mm-hmm. they aren't, like, you know... they. they <laughs> It's it's how would I describe it for a Westerner to understand? It's like what do you say? It's like the Great Britain of the East, or <laughs> or like Great Britain's like the Japan of the West. I don't, I don't fucking know. know. I don't know. But in terms of like this supremacist ideology uh. and this idea that like they are above everything in all these other Asian countries around, that's just kind of how Japan like used Nazis? to roll. Yeah, they were allied with the Nazis. Yeah, so, so that's all you have to that's, say. That's just ingrained in Japan's history. And then mm-hmm. following World War II, they became a lot more of a, a bit more of a neutral com- country. And there was a lot more focus on their multimedia. That's what they're prolific in now is like their pop culture and all that, which is, which is much better than like going into China and like mass murdering people and shit like that it is but you know it's like just under the surface because you know they're they're there and they want to talk to joya and they're arguing with the police and the police are just doing their job yeah they're there to make sure that nothing bad happens i imagine this guy is not completely free because then they would just like put him to the masses but maybe he is out on bail or something for whatever reason he is being protected by the police at least in because he's in a safe house you know like there's something going on so they want to talk to him. They're, like, fighting with the police. It's this whole huge back and forth. Yeah. But they keep making this point about, like, we just want to sit and talk to him. He wants to talk to us. We didn't bring our van. We're being nice. You should let us in. Like, and it's this whole thing where it's, like, it's interesting to me that they are, like, nationalists who then don't understand that the police are doing their job. But it's because they think that these police are weak and don't like, like, the infrastructure that now they're in. Do you know what I mean? Or that these police are protecting terrorists, you know. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, and it's one of those things that always makes me so crazy. And it happens, obviously, so often in situations like this where the person who's just trying to, like, earn money to feed their family is being attacked by someone when it's not their fucking decision. But but they're saying shit like they said they want to meet us to the guards. Yeah, well, and and they just it increases and increases and increases to eventually they do bring in the van, and it starts playing the music and they start trying to rush the police. Well, what they said here is like at first they're like if anything goes wrong with this meeting, yeah, we'll commit Harry Carey. That's right, I forgot that. Which means that they will like ceremoniously disembowel themselves while someone like cuts their head off. Uh. Um, and then they're like, if, if if you can't keep your word, we'll go back to being Yakuza. Yeah. That nationalist identity wrapped up into, like, the Yakuza mentality. Speaking of wrestling, if I can make a wrestling reference again. Always. One of the the godfathers of Japanese Porisu, which is uh, Japanese wrestling, is this guy named Ricky Dozan. He's like a legend in Japanese wrestling. But the thing with Ricky Dozan was... He was built to be like a national hero because that's how you, it's the same thing in America. You get a guy, if it's like back in the day, you get a guy to wave a flag and he's your like super face, right? Well, Ricky Dozan was like that for Japan. But the thing about Ricky Dozan was he was Korean. 
Right. And he just grew up and lived in Japan. And when and when a Yakuza member found out he was Korean, yeah. this Japanese legend who's supposed to be a national hero is a Korean, he got, Ricky Dozen got stabbed in the fucking gut. Legend says it was a piss-soaked blade, but there's not a lot to back that up. But he was at least stabbed in the guts. And Ricky Dozan tried to shrug it off to to act tough, but like he just fucking died. Of course. Oh my god! That's you exa- have told me that story before. Yeah. For one second, though, I forgot that he died. The way you told that, you were like, he just shrugged it off, but then he was dead. Well, I think I was there like, was oh this. There was this thing where I think after he got stabbed, he was trying to be a tough guy about it. Well, sure. And trying because that was old school wrestling is like you can't like you can't show weakness because. Yeah. It's a culture where a lot of people literalize this shit. Yeah, yeah, still. yeah, yeah. And but of course, you know, Ricky does it. You, it's 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 just a slow, agonizing death. You get a, a a blade in the gut. That's why the Yakuza member did it. This is interesting too, because so like after this whole thing of them trying to get in, obviously they don't get in. But then somehow the director has gotten in with these guys enough. Like he's talked to enough of them while they were out there protesting that he ends up at one of their ceremonies where they are praying and they are chanting on disband and compensate. Compensating victims is not a bad idea. No, it's not a bad idea at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're all in a park and there's compl- they complain about the media and apparently like some media sources are comparing them to like the extremities of Alm mm-hmm. and the way that they behave. And, um, but they say that they're a democratic group. Uh, but like, if you're if you're uh, into the old imperialist ways, there's nothing democratic about that at all. Right? It's it's all contradictions. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> so many democracies are like kind of a facade, like kind of like this weird game anyway. So we get Iraqi with Joyo, and there's a, they're at a conference regarding a surveillance press conference. Press conference regarding the surveillance order and they don't like being surveilled all the time. Mm-hmm. And he says that Joey, you says that in 1995, um, failed and that I was a part of that. And I failed in realizing their ideals, which I guess you could interpret to him saying we, we that our actions were a misinterpretation of what we should have been doing at the time. Yeah, like they made the wrong decision in how to try to help things play out. Which seems interesting. Like, yeah. I'm not sure how that squares away with the master, especially after the master confessed to orchestrating this crime. Well, when he says we, does he also mean the master? Because, it, like, that whole group in 1995 failed. So, so he is he is essentially saying without saying that the master failed. So I think they have a, they, they find a note because they get death threats all the time. Oh, yeah. I assume from a nationalist that said, and one note says, I'll behead your mother and scoop out her organs. And then I came. 
<laughs> Aren't I funny? <laughs> oh, this is at this point where Alm becomes Aleph. Yeah, Aleph. And this is from Joya. Joya's the one that says it. He He's being filmed. He's talking to different press people. And he's like, Alm Shinriko is no more. Aleph is the new group. We're changing the document, the doctrines. Things. None of the sons are leaders. Like, the family is not in charge anymore. Apparently, Asahara's daughter, the stone-faced lady we met last movie, yeah. and, a, and a male kidnapped one of Asahara's sons and took off with him. Yeah, and and also, this is there's just a lot of information being thrown out, like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, totally. But we also find out here that apparently Asahara, you know, he has admitted to doing this. He calls the victims deities. Like basically Asahara saying does. Asahara. So he's basically saying Yes, they died in this, but it's almost like he's trying to say that they died for a greater purpose and they are now gods, like because of what he's kinda, happened to them. He's kinda is my understanding. He's kinda connecting it almost in that Shinto religious way in which your ancestors become gods. And they do pull little bits from everywhere. So yes. that totally makes sense. Uh, Rocky is complaining to a journalist about like how they're represented, and the, <laughs> and the journalist says like, "Well, yeah, we write the stories, but they get changed." Yeah, which you are. It's absolutely changing. true. You're always changing the narrative. So yeah, that's when we see. After that, we see the nationalist bus with the song about respecting the emperors and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So so interesting. Like this group wants to go back to the emperor ways. Yeah. Residents are wanting to prevent. Um, um, to from moving to a specific location because they are about to move to another area. The director's saying to the guy that, or at least Hag- Hagiwara is saying, like, yo, we're going to leave here. Mm-hmm. But of course, when they leave somewhere, that's it may be a relief to one neighborhood, but it's but going to be to a go. problem for another neighborhood. Yeah. So Hagiwara, he's apologizing to neighborhood representatives. Who, something he's probably had to do multiple times. So many times. And he's condemning the past actions and says that they will leave the neighborhood that they're in now. But the men there don't believe that they've been reformed. This is separate from the neighborhood that's gotten to know them. I swear yeah, we... we this we're, is a new neighborhood. We're going to like... We see a minimum three different locations here. Yeah. And also, I think they're in the process of moving around all the time when we see them. Oh, we also see... Something come out. There's like this weird wired headgear. I'm not sure what it's supposed to do, but like it's like some headpiece with wires attached to it. Yeah. We see it in the very beginning. We see a Rocky wearing it around this point. It's it's um shock therapy, I think. Yeah. Or not shock therapy, but they're using it in their prayers and meditations. At one point, they shake a bottle of disinfectant, and they jokingly say the media <laughs> would freak out if they saw this. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of at least have a little bit of a sense they of do. humor. And then they're like, what is it for real? And he's like, it's just cleaning liquid. <laughs> like, we're just cleaning. But the but the director makes a point somewhere around here, too, where they are cleaning the floor. And he's like, that's the first time I've ever seen an on person actually <laughs> cleaning something. Because all their spaces are so dirty. So Hagiwara, he meets up with an old classmate. Oh, yeah. This is interesting. Yeah. Like and, a friend of a friend. And the friend apparently works in media. I don't know if he's a journalist journalist or what but he works in with a media company i guess in japan like half of all shit is media company right they have a very earnest conversation 
and the friends talking about how old friends can't believe that he's coming to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, it's like a catch-up. It's very casual, but it's like almost refreshingly normal at the same time. But it still has that weird undertone of like, the friend is, you can tell the friend is so conscious of like, my old, my old classmate is in this fucking cult, mm-hmm. you know? So about... Sorry, Go during ahead. this conversation, he gets a phone call. There's a few times where Hagiwara gets phone calls during this. And doesn't it always seem, like, weird? It, like, pulls me out of what's happening. Because they seem like they're sort of on this, like, minimalist lifestyle. But he is the leader. Yeah. So he does have to have a phone. But he has a cell phone, which just seemed, like, bizarre to me. Because even Araki was always using, like, big, huge, like, handheld, wired phones on things. I don't know why it just seemed weird to me that he would have, like, this possession. Yeah. So there's like a thousand locals opposed all moving into this neighborhood. Yeah, they're coming down the street. They're and, doing like a whole parade. And the alm says, they say to them, two or three pro- protesters can come in and talk to us if they want. Yeah. But they won't come in. Like they'll ju- they just kind of put something on the door or some shit, but they wouldn't come in. They wouldn't talk. And so they just kind of stayed out and screamed, Alm, get out now. And But Alm does sign. A three billion yen compensation for for victims. How much does that work out? That's that's millions, right? You should look that up because it, yeah, it's three billion yen for compensation for victims, and they do finally actually apologize, and well, that's what everyone's been asking for. Well, our New Japan Pro Wrestling app costs nine thousand yen a month, which equates to about nine bucks plus tax, right? Yeah, I think it is like ten and some change after tax. Three billion. Yen in U.S. dollars. While Let's you see. look that up, I want to talk about the potato flakes. So twenty. Oh, I've already got it. I've already got the answer. It's okay. Twenty-seven million two hundred seventeen thousand dollars and fifty-six cents. Well, I mean, okay, if fourteen people died, you have to compensate their families. So many other people were injured. Yeah. So that makes that number make sense. Although it's like, where are they going to get this money from? I mean. That's the kind of the thing about organizations like this. I'm sure they did spend a lot of money on legal fees and shit, but they, you know, when if you can do a cult right, a cult's going to be very, very wealthy. Well, except none of these people are working anywhere. Yeah. They are all being taken care of. Where is their money coming from? Well, their money has gotten hoarded away from their old life when they entered home. Ohm had, I mean, I don't know how much money Ohm has at this point, sure. but that's kind of the nature of a lot of like these kind of cults yeah. is that they, they absorb all your assets. And these were wealthy, intelligent, smart people. And there were thousands of people in Ohm at some point that yeah, we know that's of. That's true. That's true. Uh, there's this bit about potato flakes. So they're trying the potato flakes and the director asked them how it is. And one of them's like, it's actually really good. And the direct, and they're like, do you want some? And the director's like, no, that stuff tastes like crap. Like, <laughs> I can't believe you like that. But it's just so much better because it's got butter flavor, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's probably like more flavorful than anything else they ever get to eat. That's the kind of shit my mom made growing oh, up. Oh, we had, we like, totally had potato like how, flakes. How hard is it to mash a potato? Dehydrated potatoes. <laughs> yeah. I think it's emergency food. That's like so much of our food stems from like Great Depression era shit, or at least that our parents and grandparents made. It's it's really funny culturally, like where that kind of shit comes from. This is um 
I kind of stopped taking notes here until the very end. I do have something I want to say towards the end, but if there's other things I don't have written down, please. Yeah, we went through this pretty quick, but like, there's not much more to say than what we did. But the director, he yeah. kinda, he's kind of, at this point, the director has this nice balance in the first film mm -hmm. where he does ask these questions and he does kind of present kind of these subtle both side questions. It's very minimal. But it's very minimal. But in this time, he's straight up talking about how Japanese society has warped in the last five years yep. and that Om has contributed to that. And, and objectively, that could be true, but it seems like so the director has put so much more of himself into here with that kind of sentence, right? Yeah, he's basically saying things have changed, and if Om hadn't done what they did, it, this wouldn't have happened. Araki is there at the end, and he's just kind of listening quietly, almost like a kid being scolded who just doesn't say anything. He's just like their fucking whipping boy, man. I feel so bad for him all the time. And I think, uh, and then the, I believe the director says something along the line of, like, he doesn't like what Alm is now, and Araki feels the same way. Yeah, Araki, I believe it's Araki that says he knows that, you know, changing the name to Aleph and doing the compensation it's not enough yeah he I'm, knows it's not enough that is the compensation is pretty huge i mean what else can you do from that Disband. point on this oh i see i think i mean i think that's what all the people want they want to know om shinrikyo is no longer yeah they don't want people following this anymore because no matter how many times okay no matter how many times you say we're changing it it's not this case anymore It'd be stupid to believe that every single person believes that and that no, there's no, like, part of Om Shinrikyo that is still the old way. Yeah. You know, like, there's always going to be that. And so if anyone is following this belief system, the potential was there at one point for yes. tragedy. So the potential still exists there. It, it's like if, some, like if you found out someone did something fucking awful. Mm-hmm. And and they've been through the system and they've reformed something to the point where not to get into too dark as shit, but like some shit to where you wouldn't want to leave them alone with your kids or something. Mm -hmm. Even if they've been through something and they've performed. It doesn't there's, matter. There's something all in the back of your head that's like there's something in this person mm -hmm. that make them do that awful thing. Mm -hmm. So you can't blame people for like looking at them, even if they change their name mm -hmm. and call themselves something that the potential for them to do something like that is always there. Always. And you can't change that. And as much as our heart goes out to these people as individuals, yeah. person to person, they really don't deserve a lot of the hate that they get. Right. But as an organization, they, they, it, is, it is kind of unrealistic how they kind of feel chagrined based on very real criticisms of their organizations. Yeah. Criticisms rooted in the fact that, of course... There was a sarin gas attack that killed 14 people and injured and hospitalized dozens and dozens and dozens more. Yeah. And uh, so Iraqi, we end with Iraqi standing outside with the protest. They're protesting them in this particular neighborhood, and Iraqi's informing them that we are renewing our lease here. Yeah. It's interesting how the neighborhood doesn't go after the landlord. Right, yeah, yeah, because one of the houses... Maybe they do, I don't know. But. One of the houses earlier in the movie, because like you said, we, we see like four or five different places that they live. The guy actually says that he got the house for the group because he had his parents sign for it. Right, right. But then the whole cult moves in. 
Yeah. And that's not what was planned. And that was, I believe that was the one where like the thousand people were marching down the street towards the house Mm. because they were like, fuck you. You got in here under false pretenses and we don't want you here. And we never did. Um, Keep your word or we'll join the Yakuza again. We'll go back to being Yakuza. Well, that was a different group, but still it's all there. I just I like know. I just like that I just, sentence. I just you know the director in this, and I, this kind of gets into my thoughts on how I will rate this. So I don't know if we want to go ahead and talk well, about that. Well, we don't rate documentaries in a star rating scale. We rate it in Herzog's. Yeah, Werner Herzog's. Uh, you're gonna give this one through five Herzog's. I'm gonna give it one through five Herzog's combined for best out of ten, and that is the score of this documentary, A Two by Tatsuya Mori. Yeah, two thousand one. This all occurs, so I guess this all occurs. 2000. Yeah. It's when it starts, October. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually a pretty brief amount of time, which is insane for how much happens in that amount of time with these people. I'd be really interested. I mean, I'm, I'm totally going to look into it now. I'm sure there's not an A3. Not, not that I know of. I do want to know, like, what's happening now. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm very yeah. curious about the next bits of it. Maybe we can do, like, a shorty on. Maybe there's, like, some shorty stuff about. Maybe we'll find something. What, what what do you rate this movie? So, you know, we loved the first one. It got a perfect mm-hmm. rating. And you can't you can't watch this one and not compare it to the first one. No. And, you know, like you said, I agree with everything you said about the director in the first movie. I'm not going to repeat that. But what I didn't like about the director in this movie is how much he does sort of take liberties and insert himself. And... Some of that makes sense, right? He's been following these people for so many years that he he feels like a comfort level. Maybe he's not far enough away from it anymore to be able to just step back and not, like, interject. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he has got a bigger head now, and so he puts more of him saying stuff in there than he should. Penis head, yeah. But at the end, you know, in the first movie, one of the things about the first movie that made it so amazing was the bit at the end with the Rocky, where... The director just kind of was like, he didn't ask him these pointed questions or leading questions. It was just like, how are you feeling right now? Mm. Like, what's happening in your head? Like, what are you going to do? What do you think the future is going to be? And Iraqi had this, like, real moment where he, like, we thought he might leave. Yeah. Like, he was really at a crossroads. And it was this real genuine moment. And I feel like at the end of this one, the director was like, pushing real hard for a fucking button ending in the same kind of way yeah. and that's why he starts saying like the last five years japan has been warped and it's all because of you guys i mean i think he mm. was really trying to like pull something out of this man who has been beaten on so much that in that moment i really was like fuck you uh-huh. whatever the director's name is Tetsuya Mori. like I appreciate knowing more of this story, and I'm glad that he made this documentary, but I think as far as, like, being a director and doing what needed to be done with this movie, I think that he tried, I think he was trying too hard to create a movie that was as good as the first one, Mm. and because he tried so hard, he didn't get some of that genuine stuff. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, but, like... I may be being too harsh on it, and really, I'm mostly just talking about the end. Really, that's where... That's where it diverts. I feel like it did accomplish that for the most part. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And I th- mostly, yes. But then at the end, it just kind of felt like, sure. hey, fuck you, it's too strong. But it was just like, back off. Or just like, if it's, you're not going to have that same sort of button at the end, like, just have what you have. Like, just let it be what it is. Mm. Which is why we talked about, you know, we love these so much is just that show us what's happening and just let us see it. 
and not try to like wiggle your fingers around in it, you know? Um, but still, I thought it was really good. I loved so much seeing these interactions between these people. Uh, I'm going to say four. I think four is a good score. Um, I'm, you know, I really like the, I feel like we got a good look into other aspects of Japanese society within this movie. That's with true. With the nationalists. And I was very charmed about with that one neighborhood where the neighbors mm-hmm. were kind of like, you could tell they actually liked the own members yeah. once they got to know them. So there was something uh, kind of special right there. Yeah. And it was really nice. Um, but you're right. It doesn't it doesn't hit the same way. And you could tell that the director was trying to do something at the very end. And it kind of stood out a little too much compared to how he played it out in the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, which felt very straightforward. And because the last one was all about... So much, like, parts of it were about, like, how he had to be so neutral. Mm-hmm. And in this one, he's just straight up like, man, Japanese society's real fucked up because of you guys, right? And so that does kind of make a difference in the overall scoring here. Yeah. And the director, just for a minute, at the very end, kind of got in the, the way of his own movie. Yeah. When he did such a good job of not doing that before. I know. Yeah, and I think maybe that's just what it is, is I had very high expectations for him. But I'm going to give it, uh, but because that issue only came at the very end, I'm going to give it a 4.5. I think that's fair. So combine yours and mine, that is uh, 8.5 out of 10 Hurt Socks. So still a very good score. Absolutely. But the, but the first one is perfect. Yes. And you can find a couple of links to this show in the show notes for this episode. And last week's episode, there's a couple of links there as well. Yeah. Because the English dub version of these movies it's very hard to find, mm-hmm. and um, I found it on some European dudes' fucking YouTube. So, and it just doesn't come up automatically. I had to like, I felt like I just stumbled across it and got very excited. It's funny because I, I, it was very easy for me to find, but it was only because you had already queued it, like you already had looked it up. So it was just right there when I went to find it. But so there's two links. Ugh. So there's two links for both these movies on their respected episodes that you can go and you can watch. There's there's one where they're the original link where I found, and there's a direct link to the Culture Rot YouTube page where you can watch it there as well. And do. And the the YouTube the Culture Rot YouTube link is unlisted, so you can only access it through the link. Cool, good. In the show good. Note. So maybe I'll list it later if the original gets taken down. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I got no copyright strikes just posting it up. So yeah, yeah we'll see what's up. So that's that. An eight point five. Eight and a half out of ten for A2 by Tetsuya Mori. And I think, um, yeah, let's, I could see us revisiting Om Shinrikyo again. Yeah, yeah. Because it is, like, still one of my favorite cults. I still want to find an early doc. Like, I want a story of Ashihara. Oh, well, A might be one of the earliest that's out there. Well, no, I mean something that, Something that dives into the start of the cult. It there, doesn't have to be the oldest maid, but like something that tells that story. There's one that came out not too long ago, and I think it started touring in 2020 across Europe and Asia, but I think the pandemic had to put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's about a guy who married someone who was in Om Shinrikyo. Oh, wow. And so it's about that connection there and looking back. So... 
hopefully this man's movie will come back around. Yeah. Um, and he can tour it again. I don't know. I was looking at the dates for it, and it stops like <laughs> sure. right when the pandemic really just takes off. So hopefully this this uh, doc will come back around. But also, I cannot find it anywhere else either. So. Wow. I was gonna say maybe if we can find it and people start looking at it. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully, I wish I remember the name of it, but oh well. <laughs> it's I, I absorb a lot of information on this yeah. show, so. But I like I. Bra- you can't remember every I'm bit bragging. Of it, I'm bragging right? about how I absorbed so much pop culture at the beginning of this. But look, I'm only human. I'm not a machine. All right. Same. All right. Well, we'll then we'll keep on docking then. <laughs> Boom, there it is. Who, there it is. 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 I am a sex robot. That concludes out series of the A films. Maybe if I join, um, Shinrikyo, I can carry out a chemical attack on this podcast. I doubt anyone would care. I would be given a medal. Then, as your president bends down I will reach up and snap his feeble neck and take my throne as your new god and emperor. Bow before me. If you want to support the show, you can do so at no cost but personal time. Subscribe, listen, recommend and most important of all, give 5 stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts. This is the absolute best way to spread awareness on the show. If you have been enjoying the show and have not done so then I sincerely ask, what the fuck is your problem? Hop to it. Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts, just download the damn thing, make an account, go to the show, type up a review, hit 5 stars, hit submit and you're done. You can delete the damn thing after you finish. I don't particularly give a duck's dick what you listen to the show on. Bob doesn't listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts, but he will review shows he likes there to help them out. Goose Pussy. Contact the show for any reason at our email at documentearspodcast at gmail. Dot com. Find us on Instagram, probably our most active social media. Bob streams RPGs late at night on Twitch under the handle The Culture Rot. He keeps bragging about the small, but organic growth and feedback he's getting on Twitch. So hit him up there and feed that so I can keep not hearing the end of it. Duck dick. Goose pussy. Chicken balls. I am a sex robot. Keep on docking. Did you eat from the toilet?